Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, the place for all things nutrition and mindfulness. We are passionate about guiding you to make peace with food and empower your body and brain. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Hobson. I'm an NTP, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner in San Diego. I work with individuals to assess personal nutritional deficiencies and imbalances by addressing the root cause of any health issue. In my private practice, I focus on women's hormones, gut health, and thyroid dysfunction. Let's meet my co-host. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified transformational nutrition coach based in Los Angeles. I work one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, make peace with food, and create a life they love filled with energy, self-love, and freedom from rules and obsession. I'm also the creator of the ebook, Break Free from Disordered Eating. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We are so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 80 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I have an awesome guest today. I'm talking to Michelle from Hapa Health. You may follow her on Instagram. That's how I found her. I think I found her a few years ago when I was struggling with all my health issues and I think I went AIP and I was looking for all different kinds of people to follow for inspiration. And I think that's how I found Michelle. And even when over the years since I've done Instagram cleanses and sort of cleaned out who I was following, Michelle's someone I always wanted to keep following along with. If you follow her, you may know she has a very comforting voice and (laughs) just a really awesome story. We sort of have a similar evolution with um, health issues and kind of struggling with mystery symptoms and trying to get a diagnosis and then getting those diagnoses and sort of working through things with food and supplements and then realizing there's a different piece of the puzzle here that needs to be explored. And um, we both really champion mindset and inner work and like spiritual healing and all these things that are really important pieces to working through illness and trying to come to a place where you are working with your body instead of against it. So I'll go ahead and intro Michelle and then we'll get to talking to her. (laughs) So Michelle is a health coach empowering women to take an active role in restoring their health. She coaches women through the emotional roadblocks, preventing them from connecting to their bodies. She believes that through trust and self-love, women can learn to reclaim their lives and live freely with chronic illness. Love that. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Chelsea. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Me too. I'm really excited to finally talk to you after following you for a long time. (laughs) I feel the same. And funny story for those of you listening, I know you guys know I'm getting married soon. Although when this comes out, I think I will already be married. But I was looking to schedule some interviews before I left and I reached out to Michelle and she was like, I'd love to, but I'm a little overwhelmed right now because I'm planning for my wedding. I was like, me too. When's your wedding? And we have the exact same wedding date. So I'm appreciative of you still jumping on and talking to me today. (laughs) I know. I still can't believe that. It's such such a funny coincidence. Yes. So I would love to hear more about your story and just have you tell our audience a little bit more about everything you've been through and what got you where you are now. Right. Awesome. Okay. So where to begin? So I I got into this work that I do through my own health struggles. I think (laughs) the same as you, Chelsea, you know, we get into this work because we've been through it ourselves. And a few years ago, I, I got really sick and I've been dealing with symptoms for years, right? Through college, I dealt with insomnia and brain fog and insomnia and and fatigue and all these things, but I kind of just ignored it, right? And I swept those symptoms under the rug and just kept on going on with my life. But back in 2016 is when things got really bad and it was scary because it kind of happened so quickly. And the first thing that really caught my attention was these skin rashes that I started getting kind of out of nowhere. And it was such a mystery and and all my other symptoms that I I was dealing with also kind of got worse at the same time. And it got to the point where it was, it was really difficult to even leave the house. And I went to so many doctors and was searching for answers, but they just kept referring me to the dermatologist because, you know, my skin symptoms, these rashes were the most prominent symptom. And so, you know, it was the only thing they could see. 
but you know, I'm over here like, but you know, what about all my other symptoms? I'm, I'm so fatigued. I'm so exhausted. I can't sleep and I'm depressed, but you know, those symptoms must just be in my head, right? That's how I was feeling. And to be honest, I just felt, I felt really hopeless. It was, it was just like one day I woke up and I couldn't recognize myself or my life anymore. And, and it was terrifying. And, you know, after that, I was in and out of doctors for about a year with no answers, just prednisone and steroid cream from my dermatologist. And eventually I just, I got so fed up. And I remember one day in particular, I was actually going on a walk near my house. It was like a 10 minute walk away to this park and I was going to bird watch. And I remember when I went to go to walk home, right? This 10 minute walk to walk home. I, I, I remember I was just so exhausted and so fatigued that I felt like I don't even have the strength to walk home. And that's when I kind of just, I just like snapped in that moment. And I, I sat there and had this crisis in this park thinking like, no, this is not my life. And this can't be how my life is going to be. And if these doctors can't get me some answers, I'm going to figure it out myself. And ultimately through my own research, I decided to order my own lab work. So I had this feeling that I might have Hashimoto's, so this autoimmune thyroid condition. And I remember I, I ordered my own lab work and around that same time, I found a functional medicine doctor in my area and I booked an appointment with them. And, and once this lab work came in, I, I brought it to them and I said, I think I have Hashimoto's, can you confirm it? As soon as they looked at it, they were like, yes, this is Hashimoto's and we can't believe that. None of the other doctors you went to were willing to order this lab work. and you know, right off the bat after that, I decided to work with this doctor and, you know, lots of testing later, all kinds of lab work. Eventually, I also got diagnosed with celiac disease, as well as dermatitis herpetiformis, which is the skin form of celiac disease. So finally, the mystery skin conditions, I finally had, you know, an answer for that. And it was really scary, the whole experience. I feel like I lived my life in fear every single day. And it was also, at the same time, really validating. Once I got those diagnoses from this doctor, it felt like I'm not crazy and you know my suffering is, is valid. And I remember getting out of that doctor's appointment and just sobbing in my car because it was a lot to take in all at once. And you know I walked out of there like, okay, I have three incurable autoimmune diseases and what does that mean for my life? But it was also the first time in a long time that I actually had some hope that I was going to get better. You know, I had this doctor who had a plan and I just put my trust that they were going to be able to help me. And it felt really good. So once you got diagnosed and you started working with this doctor, what, excuse me, what are some of the first few things that you did that you felt like began to start helping? Yeah. So number one thing, a lot of the, the lab work that we worked through kind of made clear some of these root cause issues that were going on for me, right? So it's like, okay, I have these autoimmune diseases, but why? Why did this happen? And so for me, a lot of my issues stem from gut issues. So parasites and just gut dysbiosis in general, and as well as, you know, imbalanced hormones after coming off the birth control pill and so many different factors. But the things that really helped me at first was one, adjusting my diet. So my doctor had me go through the autoimmune protocol. So removing, you know, certain inflammatory foods that I, that weren't serving me, things that I, was, that I was sensitive to really helped clear up a lot of my symptoms quickly, but also, you know, addressing nutrient deficiencies. So supplementing with specific supplements based on my lab work to help me, you know, with help my body function again. And I think also at that same time, I'd started diving into some of this mindset work, some of this other side of healing. I've been reading some books and and kind of recognizing that, okay, I'm doing all of this, this healing work with my doctor and it's helping, right? But eventually I kind of felt like I felt stuck. I felt like I hit a roadblock in my healing and I kind of knew that there was this emotional side of healing that I had yet to address, but I kind of just didn't want to face myself and I, I didn't want to have to face that emotional side of healing. Mm -hmm. I totally relate to that. 
and I want to dig into that. But I do want to go back and hear a little bit more. Were you eating like a standard American diet prior to finding out about Hashimoto's and celiac and gluten specifically? Where no. were you at before you made the switch to AIP? So I think maybe in the year before that, I had started to cut gluten out of my diet just kind of intuitively. I felt like it just wasn't working for me. And so for the most part, I'd been gluten-free. And and then I think after that, I removed dairy because I thought, mm, you know, that's a common thing for people. And I think even before I'd started working with that doctor, you know, through all that research that I had done on my own, I came across the IP, I came across the autoimmune protocol and I thought, okay, maybe if I have an autoimmune disease, this might be something helpful. So I, even before I started working with this doctor, I'd already started to implement AIP into my life. And, and to be honest, it actually didn't really help me very much at first, right? Like I think the food was not the main issue for me. Really, it was, I was never going to get better until I addressed these underlying gut issues. For me, that was kind of the, the one main thing that was really driving a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing. And so even though food was helpful for me, I think until I started working on these gut issues, you know, food only got me so far. Mm -hmm. And so what did you do to address the gut issues? Was it like a supplement protocol? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of it was diet. So cutting out additionally, like with AIP, also cutting out fruit. My doctor had me cut out fruit for a while and <laughs> that was tough. Yes. <laughs> that was tough, but it definitely did help. But also um, a supplement protocol. So herbal antimicrobials to kind of wipe out some of these parasites and other gut microbes that just didn't belong there. And also supplementing with high doses of probiotics to really try to help get my gut on track. And, you know, at the same time, also trying to start working on balancing my hormones because I actually was struggling with amenorrhea after coming off of the birth control pill. And so it was just a very clear sign that something is going wrong with my body right now. And if we can correct these imbalances that are going on, then, you know, the symptoms should resolve on their own. Yeah. It's interesting. I hear all the time and it was the same with me going off of the pill actually triggered a lot of my underlying imbalances in my gut and with Lyme disease, which I didn't know I had at the time, but all of that stuff as well. And, um, oftentimes the pill is there to sort of mask all those symptoms. And then once you go off of it, your body is truly starting to experience itself in the, the way it originally was. Um, so I find that's a really common trigger for people. Are were there when you're looking back and sort of connecting the dots, are there any other triggers you can sort of pinpoint? Like were you particularly stressed at the time? Um, like what was stuff going on in your life that you feel like, wow, that's kind of why all of a sudden these symptoms really started to show up and I started kind of really experience every everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's actually funny. I think I at that time, I had recently moved to Michigan. So I'm, I'm from Maryland originally. That's where I grew up and that's where I went to school. But um, I moved to Michigan. My now husband and I live here together because he got a job here. And I think maybe a month, a month after we moved into this house together, my symptoms just came crashing down and I, I started getting really sick. And to be honest, I still don't fully know. Maybe it was the emotional stress of moving and moving away from my family or maybe it was you know something to do with our house right you know I'm, I'm i'm still not sure if mold or things like that were were an issue in that house or or if it was you know just a big life event that kind of triggered some stress it, it's so hard i feel like there's there's so many tendrils to you know the root causes of why these things happen right and i've definitely spent a lot of time trying to pinpoint you know what's the timeline you know what what caused this all of a sudden to come crashing down? And I think also it might in part be because it was the first time in a long time where I kind of had a little bit of a break, right? I think going through college, it was, you know, go, go, go. And I never gave myself a second to rest. And then finally, okay, it's like, I'm out of school and I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. And I, you know, I'm still figuring my life out. And it was kind of the first time where I kind of actually really sat back and allowed myself to take a break. And it's almost like my body kind of took advantage of that and was like, okay, cool. You're, you're here and you're listening. We're going to let you know what's going on. I totally believe that. I think your body gives you things when you can handle it. Yeah. 
like the same thing happened with me. I can connect the dots. I mean, to a T, I was going through such emotional, physical stress due to back pain right before kind of all my symptoms started showing up. But it also was after a few months, like I had gone back to to school for nutrition. I started working on myself. I started like really trying to address like mindset and mental imbalances. And then all my symptoms showed up Mm -hmm. because I think they were like, all right, she's ready now. (laughs) She wasn't ready before. Um, But it's interesting too. I feel like we so often, again, if we look back, we can see red flags Mm-hmm. when we're in the moment, we can't see them, but it's like all of a sudden, like, cause I, especially with your skin, it's a symptom where you just can't ignore it or just debilitating fatigue or digestive issues, like things that really knock you down. That it's really like that, life. yeah, that ultimate red flag. So can you look back and see like other red flags that sort of led up to it? Or was it all of a sudden, like you were just dealing with all these exasperated symptoms? Well, I actually think it's funny. I I think the very first red flag that now I can recognize is going on the birth control pill, actually, I think was really kind of the downfall of of my health. And I can trace back the first time I ever even remember experiencing any sort of symptoms, right? Any sort of, okay, something's going wrong here beyond just like a regular cold or something was only a few months after going on the birth control pill, I started getting cystic acne and things like that, and weird skin rashes. And I was like, you know, this is weird. Like, why is this happening? But of course, you go to the doctor and they're like, oh no, the pill's great for acne. We'll just give you antibiotics and other things. And oh, you know, the skin rash, it's probably just nothing. Maybe it's your laundry detergent. It's fine. And, and I can really trace back. That was kind of the beginning of the end for, for my health. And I think also the other red flags for me starting in college really is such a stressful time and starting with that insomnia right I think at the time it was just oh everyone in college struggles with their sleep and it's fine but looking back I can realize okay that was not normal I was awake sometimes until 5 a.m in the morning and not because I was trying to study or because I was purposely staying up late but just because I couldn't fall asleep and I think it's very easy because so many people around you maybe also struggle with these symptoms so you kind of think oh well it's normal and so I'm fine but you know with the knowledge that I have now I can recognize looking back okay those were major red flags that something is wrong with your health something is going on but I just couldn't see it at the time like you said it's so hard to recognize these red flags when you're in it right but you're right it's because all these things are so common mm-hmm. but they're not normal yeah, you know, exactly. especially with energy. It's like everyone's tired or we're just getting older or you're stressed or you're in oh, school no. <laughs> or digestive issues, like aches and pains, skin issues. It's so norm- like normalized, but it's, it's not normal. It's a sign from your body that like it is that red flag waving in the air that something deeper needs to be a- addressed. And I truly believe more and more will start showing up until we get the message and we listen. Um, and it's hard, like you're describing, I went through too, where you see all these doctors, like you have every right intention to begin addressing something. And like you were saying, intuitively, you're like, something's wrong. It's not just my laundry detergent or whatever kind of, you don't, you're, you're not antibiotic deficient or, you know, like steroid <laughs> deficient, right? you kind of knew there was something deeper, but often we hit this dead end working with certain, you know, doctors or people we go and see that just can't really, can't really help us or just give us something to take to sort of put a bandaid on everything. Um, So it becomes a really kind of isolating journey in the beginning when you're like, I know something's wrong, but no one here can help me. So it's good that like, finally you found someone that could at least give you that diagnosis, but you were describing like you started with AIP and you did the protocols with supplements and stuff, but then you were like, okay, there's something deeper here that I want to work through. How long into that journey of sort of beginning to work through the imbalances and hormones and gut issues and skin and everything, did you start feeling like something was off and where did that come from for you? Was it again, just kind of an intuitive thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe three or four months after I started working with this functional medicine doctor, I, I started getting better really quickly. Like within the first month, I was feeling so much better. Within three months, I was feeling really good. I mean, still maybe, I don't know, only 50 or 60%, right? But I was doing so much better than I had been. And 
to be honest, I'm not really sure what it was that kind of was hinting that there's something more. I think it might have really just been my intuition. And I think I'd finally in my life gotten quiet enough to start actually listening to my body. And I think going through this whole health crisis and struggling with all these symptoms kind of taught me how to actually listen to my body for the first time in my life and start to recognize that my body is just giving me messages and I get to choose to listen and I get to choose to get quiet and tune in. And I think in doing that with all of my physical symptoms, it started to become easier to do that, you know, with the emotional side of healing as well. And I just felt that there was a piece of the puzzle missing and I, I kind of recognized, okay, I wake up in the morning and I'm still berating myself for not being able to keep up with my life. And I'm still criticizing my appearance when I look in the mirror because I don't like the way my skin looks, these rashes and the acne and all of these things. And I think in getting quiet and slowing down and allowing myself this space to heal, it kind of opened up, you know, the picture a little bit wider. And I realized that, okay, there's, there's more to this healing journey than what I'm doing now. And am I going to explore it? Or am I going to stay stuck? And so that's that's how I really got into this emotional side of healing as well. And so obviously you did decide to explore that and start listening to your body and address some of the deeper things. So what did that look like for you? Well, I think it, it started out with me just reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of podcasts, actually, and just hearing other people's stories and reading, I think, one of the first books that I read in, in this kind of wellness space was You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Mm-hmm. I think I just saw it recommended by someone on Instagram or something or on someone's blog. And I thought, mm, I think I need that book. And it was kind of the first time I got introduced to this side of healing and, you know, this idea that our bodies are on our side and that our bodies are working for us. And it was kind of the first instance in which I realized, okay, so my body is on my side and can I also be on my body's side, right? Can I put down this fight, right? Because so much of the time, chronic illness just feels like you're at war with your body, your illness is the enemy. And it was the first time where I thought, okay, maybe maybe I can put down the fight and maybe I can recognize that my body is with me. And maybe maybe if I can just start to show my body a little bit more love, you know, the healing will continue, right? And I think after you know reading books listening to podcasts i realized that i needed a little bit more guidance i needed you know someone to actually hold me accountable so i actually hired a coach i think actually you had her on your podcast um a little while ago sarah small from the oh my gosh yes I worked with sarah for a little while and she's oh cool she's amazing and yes was the first coach that i ever worked with that really helped me on this journey of self development and this whole healing beyond food. And it was really powerful to be able to have someone else who's been on this journey, who understood what I was going through, right. And and working, being able to work with someone that has also struggled with their health and and autoimmune disease to kind of guide me on this journey of, of healing that went beyond just working with my functional medicine doctor. That's amazing. Yeah. Sarah is so cool. I love that you worked with her. That's, I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) uh, She's so amazing. And she really, really helped me. You know, I think working with her was kind of like a catalyst for me to keep going on this journey and keep learning and continue to heal in, you know, through these different modalities and these different ways. So a lot of people would ask though, how do you feel like your body is on your side when it is rebelling against you perhaps physically or mentally and you feel horrible how do you start to see through all of that and keep that hope and trust alive and thriving even on your darkest days yeah so i (laughs) it's funny i think that a lot of times people say you know healing isn't linear and i think this whole journey from going you know from this hopelessness and this fear going into this trust and, and love and this place of gratitude is also not a linear journey. And, you know, I think for me with my health, it, it's definitely, I've had plenty of days in my journey where gratitude has felt really disingenuous and, and trust has just felt so distant. Right. And I think allowing yourself, you know, giving yourself the space and the time to, you know, grieve the loss of your old life and allow yourself to miss your old life and allow yourself to feel 
sad and angry and frustrated, right? Because getting diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, it's a traumatic experience, right? Dealing with these symptoms, going through these experiences, it's like you said, it can be so isolating and so lonely and allowing yourself to just be okay with being exactly where you are. And I think a lot of times when you allow yourself to just be sad and you know, allow yourself to feel your fear and allow yourself to just be exactly where you're at. A lot of times I find that the trust and the gratitude and the love can kind of come in on their own naturally, right? And I think obviously having a positive outlook with chronic illness is amazing, but I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure that you should always be positive and that, oh, you're, you know, your body's on your side and you just, you, you feel like you have to have that mindset all the time. But I think Kind of the first step in this healing process is you know just accepting that maybe today i feel like i'm at war with my body and i feel like my body is not on my side and can i choose to be okay with that today knowing that i'm working to trust that my body is on my side and knowing that i'm on this path to finding this love and trust i'm on this path to you know learning how to cooperate with my body and, and maybe seeing my illness as not the worst thing that's ever happened to me but recognizing that it is a process and remembering to have compassion and, and grace with yourself on the journey. I love that so much because I believe the same thing. I think we have to honor our feelings. And if we have bad days or we feel upset or angry or whatever it is, let yourself feel it because feelings are meant to be felt. They're coming up for a reason. And continuing to push those aside or suppress them is really going to get you nowhere. And I feel like with the whole like gratitude movement, it can kind of get complicated and confusing where people think when they feel bad, they just simply have to think positive and just simply have to focus on what they're grateful for. And also the message like, well, it could be worse or like there's always a new day or just kind of these black and white statements that I almost feel like discredit your true emotions in that moment. So it's giving yourself the justification that yeah, like this sucks sometimes yep. and you are actually in pain because a lot of the times too, it's like confusing. It's like, but I'm physically in pain, but I'm not allowed to feel bad. So it mm -hmm. gets like, it's almost like then you're more at war with your body and it's this push pull of like, where do I go from here? So mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, it's always honoring your feelings and letting yourself take that moment, take that day. And I think once you let yourself fully, like give yourself 100% permission to just sort of sink into that and feel all those emotions as raw and ugly and uncomfortable as they may be, that's what helps you move through it. Like I remember years ago, like when I start before all my major health issues, I struggled a lot with depression Mm -hmm. And I feel like I fought it so much. I was like, how could you be depressed? You're the worst person for being depressed. Like mm -hmm. the people that I would lean on at the time, it was like, yeah, things could always be better. Look at your life. You have so much to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I would just kind of lay in bed for days, just sort of battling with that. Now, if I have a bad day, I can let myself feel it. And maybe it takes an hour, maybe it takes half a day or a day, and then I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's when we like try to just continue to suppress our real raw emotion. So I love that so much. And it, it makes you like a real person, you know, if you just have kind of these, every person has up and down emotions and we have to allow ourselves to let that kind of roller coaster happen when it needs to be. And then once we do that, it's like using tools and mindset and resources that we have to sort of begin to shape a new perspective and build upon that. Um, so what sort of things like more specifically did you do like in your work with Sarah, your work on your own to get, begin to build this different mindset that was going to help you sort of lift out of that kind of war at your body mentality? So I think for me, where I started was with forgiveness and acceptance. So I, I think it's funny. I think a lot of us with chronic illness tend to be these type A perfectionist kind of people, right? We're the kind of people that are so hard on ourselves, that push ourselves so hard and set these impossible expectations for ourselves. And for me, I, I started to kind of recognize that, wow, okay, maybe 
holding myself to these unachievable standards is kind of part of the reason that I got sick. And it, it kind of seems far-fetched at first, but really thinking about it, it's like I, I pushed myself so hard throughout all of my life, you know, through all, all of school. And it really, I think my illness was kind of like this slap in the face of you need to slow down and reevaluate the way you're living your life. And for me, I think I really needed to start with this forgiveness piece and learn how to forgive myself for, for being so hard on myself and for not showing myself love or giving myself the grounding that I was looking for and, and really learn to just accept exactly where I was. Right. And I think, you know, this acceptance piece is really important. And I know I totally resisted it at first because at first acceptance felt like complacency and it felt like giving up, but really, you know, the more I learned about it, the more I realized that, you know, acceptance is really just part of this forgiveness piece and, and learning to recognize that it's a choice and that I, I do have some power in this situation. And I think for me, I, I really struggled with, you know, this victim mentality for a long time when I was sick, it was like, okay, I'm a victim of my illness. And I just, you know, spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself. And like we said, like, that's okay. You're allowed to wallow. You are allowed to sit with your fears and be sad. But again, like remembering that you get to choose how long you sit yeah. there and you have the power to choose, you know, a little bit differently and recognize that, you know, maybe you can't change your circumstances, but you do, you do get to choose how you respond. And, and I think also, you know, taking that time to recognize that maybe your illness isn't the worst thing that's ever happened to you and thinking about, you know, what are the things that maybe your illness has taught you and, you know, asking yourself, how has this illness helped me grow and, and realizing that it, it doesn't have to be the worst thing and, and really accepting that your illness is part of you. For me, that was really huge, you know, going back again to the, the forgiveness and acceptance, one forgiving myself for carrying around all of these, you know, negative beliefs about myself and for just being so mean to myself for all of these years. And, and also, you know, accepting that, okay, this illness is a part of my life now. And can I be okay with that? And I think for me, that's, that's kind of where I started. And I, I forget who said it, but I, I really love the saying, I have autoimmune disease, but it doesn't have me. Mm. And I think I was introduced to that like years ago, like when I was first, you know, starting this journey and I just, it always resonated with me so much because it's like, okay, I have this disease, but I don't have to let it have me. I am the one with the power here. And I think being able to recognize that I have this choice to forgive and accept myself and recognizing that I do have some power. It, you know, it really helped me start this healing journey when I recognized that I did have some power in this and I wasn't just this helpless victim of my circumstances. Yeah, that's so powerful. I always say, like whether it's autoimmune disease or food issues or body issues, whatever anyone is struggling with, it's a part of you. And that's where that compassion piece comes in. Like you can honor that, but it's not you. Like it, it's not all of you. And I think mm -hmm. it's really hard, especially when you get labeled, like you have Hashimoto's, you have celiac, you have Lyme disease, you have an eating disorder, whatever it may be. It's so hard to not just take that on fully as your identity and basically walk around with like a sign on your head, especially too, <laughs> with like all the managing, you know, that goes into it, whether that is with food and when you go out to eat or when you travel or, um, especially with you having to be so diligent about avoiding gluten with having celiac, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you sort of approach that where it's like, we are on this managing journey where we're mindful, obviously, of things that can trigger us, or exasperate symptoms, or make us feel worse, or make us feel better. How do you practice mindfulness and, of course, taking care of yourself and your health, but not letting it be like your identity 100%? Mm. Yeah, I definitely feel like I let my illness become my identity, especially in the beginning. It just felt like my illness completely chipped away at my very being. And, and it wasn't just the physical symptoms, right? Because obviously my symptoms affected the way I looked and it really rocked my self-esteem. But, you know, it was also like, I felt like my illness kind of robbed me of my, my energy and, and my ambition. And it just felt like I really couldn't recognize myself and it was really scary. But I think looking back, I can realize that my illness kind of ultimately forced me to find a new identity for myself almost, if that makes sense. And 
I feel like, you know, before I got sick, I was this person that lived my life out of fear and put my worth in my appearance and, you know, was so focused on achievements and, and all these things that when I got sick, it, it kind of gave me this chance to find my identity again and become this newer empowered version of myself and I definitely struggled to find myself again but I I think in sharing my story it really helped me to find my voice and to help me find my identity again and, and recognize that okay this illness is a part of me and like you said it's it's kind of hard not to think about it on a daily basis because we're constantly managing you know managing our symptoms or thinking about okay bringing food, you know, to wherever we need to go or thinking about, okay, I'm going to this restaurant, how, what can I order? And, and, you know, you're constantly thinking about it. And I think for me, one thing that's really helped me find my identity outside of my illness is just to, one, be okay with the fact that my illness is part of who I am, you know, like we talked about and, and also realizing that it's not the only thing that I have going on in my life. I think, I think it's especially difficult at first when it's like, okay, you've just been diagnosed and your whole life kind of turns upside down and you're so very focused on getting healthy. But, you know, once you have a little bit of space and a little bit of time and a little bit of energy, you know, remembering that you're a person outside of your illness and, and focusing on the things that you love to do outside of managing your health, right? So it's not just, okay, every single day I make every single choice out of you know worry for my health and instead sometimes you make choices based on okay this is what i want and this is what will make me happy and you know these are the things that i enjoy that have nothing to do with my health and and having hobbies and, and friends maybe that aren't all in this wellness space because <laughs> I, I know sometimes when we have all these friends who also have chronic illness a lot of times you get together and you just end up sharing your stories about you know your experiences and talking about your, your illness and and I think that's so powerful, you know, to have that community and to have people to talk to who really understand you. But I think it's also really nice to have people in your life that maybe you don't really talk about your illness very much with. Maybe you have people that just enjoy other hobbies that you enjoy and, and remembering that there's so much more to your life than your illness and you are so much more than your illness. Yeah, that's such a good piece of advice and pushing yourself to look for other aspects of you that can shine. Yeah. And even also practicing not leading with, this is my label. This is all the things I can't do. This is all the things I can't have. It's almost like, I don't know, kind of like playing a part sometimes and just <laughs> pretending maybe that you are this person that has no limitations and is full of energy and totally vibrant and just see how it feels. Because maybe a little bit of that, you know, it's kind of like the law of attraction, kind of like practicing what you preach, like maybe some of that will sort of come back your way when you start trying that on for size and seeing how it feels to not lead with your illness mm -hmm. and lead with kind of the, the victim mentality. Because gosh, I, and actually we talked about this with, I talked about this with Sarah, the victim mentality. I was such a victim to everything that was going on with me. So much so that it had kind of been a theme in my life. And when I started dealing with actual real health issues that actually did make me feel bad for myself, mm -hmm. I struggled with really letting go of that because I think I put kind of growing up, like I didn't feel good enough or loved enough. So I think having something wrong with me was almost a form of like attention or love. Mm -hmm. And it's such a hard thing to sort of like admit and begin to work through. Um, but I think that that becomes part of the complication of of letting go and um, no longer fully identifying with your illness is like, well, what is the illness maybe affording you, you know, that you maybe didn't want to confront and working through that. So like for me, it's like not feeling good enough or lovable or worthy or whatever it may be or wanting attention. It's like, I want attention for like the good I'm bringing to the world and the people that I'm helping and like things that I'm saying that bring value and my kindness or the bond I have with friends and family. Like that's the things I want to receive attention for. So it's like giving myself or whoever listening, like giving yourself some other way of looking at what that illness and hanging on to that illness and that identity may be affording you and replacing it with something else that's very more like uplifting and foundational and grounding. Um, and same thing with like worth or love. It's like, where can you build that back up in different ways so that you don't continue to just fully lean back on 
your illness. So was there any of that kind of for you of like, <laughs> you're nodding, of like what was kind of that hardest part of letting go? Like, did you see that it was maybe affording you something? Yeah. So to be honest, I think that after I got sick, I really clung to this identity of being sick. I, I really almost wanted to stay with this identity of being sick because I'd been sick for so long that it, it, it almost had, had gotten comfortable, right? And even though I was miserable and I didn't want to be sick anymore and I didn't want to identify as being a sick person anymore, you know, it, it was almost like at least it was familiar. And I, I was almost, I was scared of what my life might look like when I was actually healthy again. And, and because of that, it's, I think it took me a little bit of extra time to sort of shed that victim mentality and allow myself to, you know, the other parts of my life and other parts of my personality to shine through again. And I think it was, it's really difficult when, you know, the fear gets so wrapped up, you know, I think those of us with chronic illness and these health issues, a lot of times fear is like this driving force that's, you know, kind of guiding your every decision. And I think being able to let go some of that fear and like welcome in some of that love and trust can be so helpful to, you know, shed this identity and, and, and allow yourself to step into a newer, more empowered version of yourself. And I, I definitely know for me that it, it was really difficult and it, it took a lot of time, but finding these other aspects of myself that have nothing to do with my illness, right? And, and it's, it's, it's funny because even in the work that I do, I work with women who struggle with autoimmune disease as well. But even though my work is still involving illness, it's, you know, I found myself again in this new way as, you know, this woman that can help other people and, and finding purpose, right? I think finding purpose through your illness can be really powerful to help you let go of some of that fear-based, sick-based identity that a lot of us deal with as we go through this chronic illness journey. Yeah, I feel like purpose helps you make peace with everything. Mm -hmm. And like I always say, things don't happen to us, they happen for us. And I feel like I'm only able to let go of everything I've been through because I know that it happened for a greater good. And mm -hmm. if there's people who are listening that aren't like NTPs <laughs> or health coaches or like, are like, wait, but I'm not helping people. Like you can still share your story. Maybe it's with a friend or a sister or a stranger, you know, or maybe you give back in some other way, like randomly, you, you never know what could happen that you're like, wow, this clicks. This is why this happened. Or it's like, it just made you maybe a more strong person. Absolutely. Anyone who's gone through illness, you're completely like a badass and can handle anything <laughs> so hard. So you can look at like, oh, well that made me stronger. So now I'm better able to handle other things that may happen in my life. Or I have more compassion for other people that are struggling, even if they're struggling with different things than I am. Or you're more knowledgeable because you be began like being your own health advocate and working through like, you know, researching and all these things. There's so many different ways of looking at it. And if you can find that why, I feel like it just gives you such a sigh of relief and it helps you release that like fight and resentment and anger. You know, if you can say, well, this is why this happened it just makes you, again, it makes you feel like you're on your body side and you guys are working as a team. Like it all happened for you. Um, and that can help you, I think, release, release that identity um, a lot as well. So when you really begin to do all this deeper work, did you start to just feel a lot better? Like what kind of was the progression of symptoms and how you felt mentally, physically, emotionally with this added layer? Yeah. So I think for me, actually, you know, starting to do some of this inner work, it brought up a lot of other stuff in my life as well. Right. I think previously I'd kind of been a bit of a, a closed off person, right. And one of those kind of people that tries to do everything on their own. And when things aren't okay, pretend to be okay. And you try your best to hold it together. And I think starting to do some of this inner work kind of brought a lot of that to the surface and kind of made me recognize that, I don't have to bottle everything up and try to handle everything on my own. And I think it really made me realize that I needed support and I needed to let the people in my life support me, right? Because, you know, my loved ones, they were watching me struggle, but they had no idea how to help me or what to do to support me. And I think 
going through this inner work and this chronic illness brought up so many other things and it was really powerful to be able to start to let go of some of these other things that maybe had nothing to do with illness but these other patterns that I learned in my life that were no longer serving me. That's amazing. So where did your relationship with food land kind of through all this? Um, I know something that comes up a lot with a lot of the women I work with are a lot of, if they've had health issues and they've had to be on a specific diet, it's my story too. Mm -hmm. And then you feel a little bit restricted or you feel like it may be triggering some imbalances mentally and emotionally, and you want to let go of some of those rules, but you feel like you have to maintain that way of eating because that's the way you're going to manage your symptoms. And that's the way you've been told you're going to manage your symptoms, or that's what feels safe and comfortable. Um, so there's kind of this like push pull between, well, I don't want to be restricted, but I want to take care of myself and food is a part of that. So where did you kind of land or did you have kind of a journey with that, um, with food and rules and like food fears or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, so for me, I struggled with disordered eating even before I ever got sick, even before I ever had to be on these restrictive healing diets. Right. And I think at first for me, like going through the autoimmune protocol, for instance, I, you know, became so afraid of food, right. And so afraid of reintroducing foods. Cause I was so scared of going back to that place of being really sick. And I definitely got into that, you know, labeling things as good and bad and black and white. And it's, you know, okay, this food, if I eat it, it's health promoting. And this food, if I eat it, it's going to derail my health and becoming, you know, obsessive and having so much stress and anxiety around, around food when it's, you know, food isn't everything. But I think in the beginning of my journey, I really, I couldn't see that. And it's, it's really tough to navigate, you know, like what does food freedom look like in the context of chronic illness? Because like you said, it's okay. You know, for me with celiac, I'm not going to eat gluten because I'm going to feel horrible and I'm going to get rashes all over and it's going to be, you know, a really terrible experience, but you know, okay. So how do I manage, you know, still a feeling, you know, that food can be eaten for enjoyment and for fun, but also for health. And it's definitely taken me a long time to navigate that. And it's something that I'm still navigating, right? Still working towards feeling more free around food and feeling more comfortable around food again. And I think a lot of times, sometimes the most loving thing you can do for yourself is giving yourself permission to kind of take a step back and maybe not be on a healing diet, right? So even though for me, going through the autoimmune protocol, it was very helpful. It helped me identify some foods that were not serving me, that were causing a lot of problems for me. But, you know, now that I've done a lot of healing, I don't, I don't follow that protocol anymore. I still, you know, I'm still gluten-free and I still don't eat dairy and things like that for the most part. I don't really do nightshades for the most part because I don't feel good when I eat them, but finding a little bit of, of freedom with food again and, and finding that I don't have to overanalyze every single thing that I eat. And sometimes food is just food and it's okay to not, you know, do everything perfectly. Going back to that, you know, letting go of some of that perfectionism and letting go of some of those fears that, oh, if I eat this food, it'll trigger the symptom and I'll go tumbling backwards all the way, you know, to being so sick and, and recognizing that, you know, nothing that I do is going to take away the healing that I've done and nothing that, you know, I eat is going to derail my health, you know, such that, that, you know, I'm going to go back to being as sick as I was. And I think it does really help to have gone through, you know, a healing journey once and recognizing, okay, I was at rock bottom and I healed and I'm okay. And I think once you have that experience of recognizing that my body is capable of healing and that healing is always happening, it becomes a lot easier to be a little bit more relaxed around food. But for me, it took recognizing that I'm always healing and that my body is capable of healing to, you know, for me to start to allow myself to have a little bit more of that freedom around food. And I think also one thing that was really important for me in my relationship with food was not comparing my journey to anyone else's and just remembering that I'm on my own timeline and I'm on my own healing journey and other people might be doing this protocol or that protocol or other people might need to avoid this and avoid that. But that doesn't mean that I need to be doing those things too. And, you know, right. going back to the idea that food isn't everything. Yeah. And 
You're right. Like not making it so black and white, because if you are totally freaking out and stressed out and obsessing over adding chili powder, for example, or something that mm-hmm. would be classified as a nightshade, that stress and that mindset of your relationship with that particular food and what you are projecting it's going to cause onto your body can be a bigger problem than just having it. Yep, you like know? the stress around food is actually <laughs> creating more of a problem than if you just ate whatever that food was. And it's hard. Like I went through year, I mean, I'm still on my journey, but I went through like three strict years of every different type of healing diet. Mm-hmm. And just like you and everyone listening knows, I struggled with severe disordered eating immediately like back to back with going on my first healing diet. And I see that so often because I feel like a lot of girls who have had issues around food in their bodies then develop gut issues. I think there's a lot of symbolism there with it being in our gut, this area that maybe we're very insecure about or always trying to change or trying to lose weight or control food. Um, So it's difficult because we don't really give ourselves that time in between to heal. We just jump right back into another healing diet and it gets confusing because it's healing. It's supposed to be healthy, but it can Mm -hmm. still become disordered. Mm -hmm. So I love what you said because we do, we have to be mindful of taking a step back if it begins to stop serving us. Because like we were just saying, if you're so stressed out and healing diets can be very isolating, like you can feel so alone. And there's so much research now about, about isolation being like, I don't know, worse than smoking or something like that. There's some, <laughs> some study. Maybe it's not smoking, heart disease, I don't know, something, something horrible. Um, but I believe it, right? Like you lose that connection. You lose that maybe going out to dinner and or going on picnics or the park or whatever, maybe something you love and then that's taken away from you. And so we really have to look at all aspects. And like you said, food, supplements, it's not everything. It's our mindset. It's the emotional work. So yeah, it's really just remembering you are in control of your own healing journey and acknowledging, like you said, that it's a process and trusting that you can get there, but it may look different than someone else's journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And always giving yourself the permission to take a step back, um, particularly I think with diets Mm -hmm. um, and just like kind of do what feels good to you. And you may then, once you give yourself that space, intuitively gravitate back towards a healing diet because it feels right. And then maybe it no longer feels as restrictive. It feels good. So we mm-hmm. have to just, yeah, so much. I always talk about living in the gray zone in between the black and white, like exist in the middle. It's so hard though. Cause like you said, most women, especially with autoimmune disease or kind of anything like that, um, we're perfectionists mm-hmm. and it's like, you have to do everything to a T and Allie might podcast co-host she has Hashimoto's as well and she talks about that all the time as well like you want to like heal to a T and you want to do everything right but it's kind of like maybe that's what got you here in the first place (laughs) often right it takes taking that step back to kind of recognize that and you know I think healing diets can be so beneficial but you know in the wrong context they can become damaging and and giving yourself permission to like you said maybe not do that healing diet for now and and maybe intuitively you you do want to come back to it and you know maybe for now you choose one thing maybe you just remove gluten for a little while and see how you do with that and and just allow yourself to take it at your own pace and and take take steps you know even if it's maybe not the most perfect thing that you could do or the 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 most intense thing that you could do because i think a lot of times we just want to heal as quickly as possible we just want to be healed you know even though it's a never-ending journey right but yeah Sometimes we get caught up and we just want to do every single thing possible to heal. But then, you know, our entire lives revolve around healing from this autoimmune disease. And then, you know, where does the rest of your life go? You have to remember that, you know, you have this life outside of this illness and remember to live your life even while you're healing. Yeah, it's it's so important. Um, so with the timing of us, well, you are already married. Yeah, <laughs> But you are celebrating with friends and family at your reception in two weeks. We're both getting married September 14th. And, right? You're the 14th. Yeah. I know. Um, (laughs) So funny. Um, So thinking about relationships and were you, so were you newly dating Neil when all, everything sort of started? Have you been together for just a little while? We've been together for years at that point. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, same with me, actually, I guess, well, I'd been with Scott about 
two and a half years when everything sort of hit the fan. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) um, I'm curious, like when that all started happening for you, how did that affect your relationship? And obviously he seems like an amazing guy. I'm sure he handled it really well, but, and same with Scott, but it's like, and actually Scott and I just had this conversation last night because I was upset about my skin's kind of freaking out actually leading up to the wedding. And <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I was, I kind of had a little bit of a meltdown and was just talking to Scott about it. And he was like, I don't know how to, I got kind of mad at him and he's like, well, I don't know how to help you. I'm, I can't say the right thing and all this stuff. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, like acknowledging that our partners or just other people in our lives when they see us struggling, it it affects them too. So Mm -hmm. what kind of, you know, dynamic have you guys evolved to have with kind of the ups and downs that you've been through and how, how does he he support you or what kind of advice would you give to other people in relationships where they're, they're dealing with illness and and navigating all that? Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I definitely think, you know, going through this, you know, health crisis, really impacted our relationship because at first, you know, for, for a year I was really sick, but we didn't know why I didn't have any answers. So, you know, Neil couldn't really understand either. And, and of course it was also that we had just moved in together yes. you know, we been in a long distance relationship for years and we had finally moved in together. And, you know, for him, I think it was at first like, okay, so is this like the real you that you're like now showing me? Are you just like this lazy, like sick person, like what's going on? And, and of course, like you said, it feels like the most supportive person in the world, but he just had no idea what was going on. And it was really hard for him to understand that I was really suffering. And, and part of that was on me, right? Because I did my very best to pretend that I was okay and that everything was great and that, you know, I, I was fine. And I think after I got a diagnosis, it really, it helped Neil because it gave him, you know, a label for, okay, this is what's going on. And okay, this is really serious. And okay, I can understand that now. And I think as we've been on this journey together, one thing that's really helped us, really helped Neil help me is for me to just have more honest conversations. And, you know, it's something that I think my illness has kind of forced me to learn how to do is to lean on other people and to ask for support when I need it. And, and for Neil, it's like, okay, he sees me suffering or struggling and he, he doesn't know what to do. So one thing that's really helped us is for me to very, very clearly define like what my needs are and remembering that you never have to apologize for, you know, whatever your needs are and knowing that you're not a burden and your illness is not an inconvenience and your needs aren't frivolous. Right. And I think just making that really clear with Neil, explaining exactly like, okay, if I'm having a bad day or I'm having a flare, these are the things that you can do that are going to help me. So maybe it's, you can help me make dinner on that night, or you can help support me in going to bed early. And, and that way, you know, Neil doesn't just feel like this helpless observer watching me struggle, but not knowing what to do. Like you said, it's like, Scott's like, what do I say? Like, what do I say (laughs) to help you? And, and, you know, giving your loved ones like very clear guidelines of, this is the way that you can help me. And also not being afraid to ask for things. I think sometimes it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to ask someone to, you know, do these things for me, but knowing that the people in your life that love you and care about you, they want to help you and they want to know what to do to help you. And, and in order for that to happen, you have to help them understand. That's all such good advice. I think that will help people a lot. And I agree. Communication is key. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who likes to talk and like <laughs> unload and unpack and talk around in circles. And I know that's not great. And Scott's a saint for dealing with that all the time. <laughs> One of the reasons I chose him is because he's a great listener. Yeah. Um, but I will tell him like, I just need you to listen to me. Like, I don't need you to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I think guys especially (laughs) their personality is like to come in and fix it. And especially they love us. They want to make it better. But I sometimes I'm just like, you don't need to say anything. I just need a hug or I just need you to listen or I just need you to sit there and provide this like safe, loving space for me. Um, And yeah, I think it's so important to you to let people be there for you. Um, And, you know, not 
further exasperate like that sense of like isolation and loneliness, like let people be there for you. You have to tell them sometimes what you need, you know, whether that is like, maybe you need a friend or a family member to come help you clean or cook with you or something, you know, drive you somewhere, like ask them, people love you and want to be there for you, but they can't read your mind and you need to work with them and acknowledge that it's difficult for them too, right. To see us struggling. Um, and yeah, I used to kind of, uh, get mad at like my mom for not like knowing the right, yeah, like the right thing to say or, um, and I, it changed for me when I acknowledge like she's hurting too. It's hard for her to hear me like call her upset or crying or hurting and, um, you know, just, yeah, realizing it's, they're, they're going through something too, but communication makes everything so much better. Yeah. And, and like you said, sometimes it's, it's hard, it's hard to remember though, that our loved ones are also struggling as well. When yeah. you're suffering, it just feels so acute and so painful that it, it's hard to remember that, okay, this is also affecting my loved ones. And like you said, it's, it's hard for them to watch you struggle and they just feel helpless and they want to do something. But if they don't know how to help you, then it just leaves you both feeling kind of isolated in that situation. Absolutely. I have a lot of girls who will reach out to me because one of my worst symptoms is gut issues and bloating and gut distension and all that kind of stuff. And well, I'm lucky that I'm in a relationship and it was very solid when everything started happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it was for you as well. But I have a lot of girls that reach out to me like, how do I deal with that? Like with dating or meeting someone new and having symptoms? Is there anything that you would suggest or advice you would share for people to not feel like scared to open up or scared to like be who they are even with you know the illness or their symptoms and just kind of how to approach that I know it's tough yeah I know because I definitely don't have experience dating with chronic illness but I think you know one of the first things that you have to remember is that having a chronic illness or dealing with these symptoms whatever it is it doesn't make you unlovable I think that's something that's really hard to remember, right? Because sometimes when you're dealing with a chronic illness, it just makes you feel broken and you just feel like you're not worthy of, you know, being loved. And I think also, you know, prioritizing working on yourself, maybe while you're also seeking out a relationship or looking for someone and, and finding someone who is going to honor those needs that you have, right? Like going back to this idea that like your needs aren't an inconvenience and your illness isn't a burden. And if, you find yourself with someone that's making you feel that way, just knowing that that's not the right person and, you know, continuing to work on yourself and cultivating this self-love and compassion for yourself on this journey. Because I, th I think, like you said, it's like attracts right, like, right. So if you are working on yourself and prioritizing your self-care and really just loving on yourself, it becomes so much easier for that right person to fall into your life. Yeah. And I really think we may be examples of the fact that there are great guys out there that truly do love you no matter what. And even when my skin looks horrible and my stomach is super bloated and I'm a mess, Scott still thinks I'm like beautiful and awesome and funny and all the other things that I am without that. So it's like, we just sometimes create this story in our head that no one will love us with these quote unquote flaws or imbalances or whatever. And it's, it's just not true. That's kind of like a fear or like a sabotage mentality almost as well. Like if you believe that you can meet someone that is deserving of you and you are like, it's an equal mutual respect and, and appreciation, like it can happen. Um, but yeah, it certainly is. It is tough, but I think they're out there for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, they are out there. The good people that are willing to love you in, in all of your, like you said, perceived flaws, right? Those, those people are out there and it just, you know, it takes some patience and, you know, working on yourself, but knowing that those people are out there for you and that you will find them. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling all the like sappiness and love because Scott and I are writing our own vows and I've been like bawling <laughs> all week trying to get through writing them. Capture, you know, how people and life and Yeah. I'm gonna be a mess. But um <laughs> how how has so how long have you been married now? Um since December of twenty eighteen. Okay. It's like yeah, so ten months ish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird, actually. It's still sometimes kind of weird to be like my husband. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. How has it been? Has anything changed? 
<laughs> honestly no yeah. <laughs> the thing is we already live together we already have a cat and you know we've been together for eight almost nine years now so you know really getting married it's you know it's just the paperwork <laughs> well I hope you have the best celebration and I it's so exciting we'll be celebrating on the same day sending all the good vibes across <laughs> the country um so I think this actually will be coming out after our nuptials. So share with us if people want to get in touch with you or work with you or learn about all the great things you have to share, where can they find all that? All right. So my Instagram is at HAPA Health. So H-A-P-A Health. And I'm on stories on there a lot. And my website is just HAPAHealth.com. And I have you know a free resource, a free guide all about this healing beyond food on there as well. Awesome. I love talking with you. I'm so glad we finally got to meet and this worked out. I think we have, we just have so many similarities and I know I always resonate with everything you post. (laughs) Yes, you too. So this was awesome. I will leave all Michelle's links in the show notes. So be sure to go over and connect with her. She's the best. And thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to submit a question, you can email us at nutritionishpodcast at gmail.com or head on over to our website and click under the submit question tab. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It means the world to us. And also be sure to subscribe so that a new episode gets downloaded for you every single week. For more from me, head to nutritionwithchelsea.com and follow me over on Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. For more from Allie, head to barefootnutrition.com and follow her at barefootnutrition. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again. Bye.